0: 7. That's where we're going to be this morning as we continue our Women of the of Jesus uh, short sermon series. Before we get there, quick announcements. Kickoff Carnival today from 2 to 4. Reveal tonight 5.30 to 7. The time in the bulletin is incorrect. And there is no youth groups tonight from 5.30 to 8.30. All that's happening for our kindergarten through fifth grade is the kickoff carnival from 2 to 4. Next Sunday, as Dick said, Jim Turney will be here. Jim is a minister in the New England area. Connecticut is the state where he serves. And just for a point of reference, there are about 550 independent Christian churches in the state of Illinois. In all of the six New England states, there's something like 25 independent Christian churches. There are four, I think, in Connecticut. There's three in Rhode Island. And so ministry in New England presents challenges that ministry in Illinois does not. Jim Turney's one of our own. He's he's serving the Lord with passion and with priority. I hope you'll come next week and hear him preach at 11 o'clock or 8.15 if you want to get up early, but that you'll also come at 9.30 to the Fellowship Hall and let him really tell you the story of ministry in New England. Two weeks from today, one service Sunday at 9.30 a.m., that's apple and pork weekend. If you come to church at 11 o'clock in two weeks, you're going to miss it. So be here at 9.30, Families at First returns on October 2nd, the first Wednesday in October, and you're probably wondering what all of these shoes are about. Kyle, I think we have a short video to explain.
1: Imagine living inside the walls of desperate circumstances, without hope, living in fear. There is an orphan who lives like this each day. He has no one and nothing to call his own. She wears tattered clothing and walks barefoot over rocks and glass. He eats what he can find from the dumpsters or the streets. She feels scared and alone. Who will stand up for her? Who will be his hope? You can bring hope to an orphan through a new pair of shoes. Shoes bring life, happiness, protection, and purpose. For the first time, she is noticed. Envisions his future. To a child who has nothing, new shoes mean the world. You can be a part of it. Be the change you want to see. Give a new pair of shoes today. Learn more at www.shoesfororphansouls.org.
0: What a great cause, and I am so excited that First Christian Church is a part of this uh, this campaign. We started last week, and we're going to move forward through next week. We'll actually probably accept them beyond next week, but just to give you a little living illustration reminder of what we're doing, I've decided that I'm going to preach this sermon with no shoes and socks on, so uh, you may not want to get near me, but um, I hope that as you see my pasty white feet, I should not have worn the black suit pants today, that you will be reminded that you can play just a small part in just a huge, huge effort that's going on literally all around our country and all around the world to make a difference. The Women of Jesus, last week we, we launched this sermon series looking at two sisters Martha and Mary, we were in Luke chapter 10, and if you weren't with us, just a quick reminder, Jesus and the disciples were coming to to the house for supper in Bethany. And Martha was busy, she was scurrying, she was trying to get all the housework done, and what was Mary doing? Mary was just hanging out, soaking in Jesus. And after a while, Martha could take it no longer, and she cries out in protest to Jesus, And she says, make my sister help me. And Jesus' response to her was, Martha, you're worried, you're bothered, you're upset about so many things, but just one thing is needed. And my big takeaway for you was this, in a world where we just want to do something sometimes, even if we don't know what that something is, sometimes in my life, in your life, as followers of Jesus Christ, what we really do is, need to do is not to do something, but just to sit there and to soak in the King of Kings. We need the Marthas of the kingdom. Many of you are the Marthas of the kingdom. You work hard for Jesus Christ. You work hard for the kingdom. You work hard for First Christian Church. Keep on working hard. But if you don't soak in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you become bitter and frustrated and angry. And it's just work. It's not difference-making, kingdom-changing, world-shaking ministry. Don't just do something. Sit there. Well, I want to jump off on Martha and Mary because there's another account involving Martha and Mary in Scripture that's really more famous than, than Luke chapter 10, And it's actually found in the Gospel of John, John chapter 11, and it's the story of Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. And this family was really close with Jesus, and Lazarus became very ill to the point of death, and they sent word, the sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, Jesus, come, my brother is sick. And we actually studied this entire chapter, John chapter 11, when we were going through the I Am studies on Jesus. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I think it was back in February. We spent the whole morning looking at that. What I want you to see, though, is not the miracle. See, Jesus shows up four days later and raises Lazarus from the dead. I don't want you to see the miracle. What I want you to see is the heart of Jesus. See, in John chapter 11, when Jesus finally gets to Bethany, Martha and Mary greet him with the same response. They're angry. They're frustrated. They cry out and say, Jesus, if you'd stopped preaching and stopped doing the miracles and stopped doing the ministry and come when we called, my brother would still be alive. And Jesus said, just wait, just relax your brother will rise again. But when they took Jesus to the tomb, Lazarus has been in, had been in the tomb for four days, we see the very heart of Jesus. And the heart of Jesus is this. What was Jesus's response to the death of his friend? Simply put, two words, one verse, Jesus wept when he saw Martha mourning, and he saw Mary mourning, and he saw all the friends gathering together. You've been to funeral visitations before. You know the scene. You know the context. Jesus, even though he was about to do a miracle, he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He was so moved from deep down inside that the scripture tells us that he wept. Well, in Luke chapter 7, we see another encounter with Jesus and someone that has died, It's the widow at Nain. And let's read God's word together. Luke chapter 7 beginning with verse 11. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, Don't cry. Then he went up, And he touched the bier that they were carrying him on, and the bear stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And they were all filled with awe, and they praised God, and a great prophet has appeared among them, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Truth of the text this morning, just three things that I want you to take with you today, but I think they are three very profound lessons from God's Word that helps us in 2013 when we see people, like a widow who's lost her only son and is trying to figure out how am I going to go on in life. And lesson number one is this: understand Jesus was never afraid to invest emotionally in ministry. He was never afraid to be emotional. See, maybe you think emotion's a bad thing. Maybe you think that if you ever show emotion, that's a sign of weakness. Understand that Jesus was never afraid to invest emotionally in ministry. Now, sometimes that emotion was wrath. Sometimes that emotion was frustration. Went to the temple, and he saw the how the temple had become the marketplace, and he was incredulous. He couldn't believe it, and he's turning over tables, and He was angry. That's an emotion. But many, many, many times Jesus sees hurting people and when he sees the hurt in their eyes, when he can just sense the hurt that is all around, he is moved by emotion to make a difference. I mean, consider the many instances where Jesus met the needs of hurting people because he was moved emotionally. Whether it was a Healing someone from a sickness, raising someone from the dead, feeding someone that was hungry, Jesus was never afraid to allow his emotions to move him to action. And yet when I consider 2013 and I consider the church and maybe even some of us in this church, we don't really want emotion to be a part of who we are and what we're about. We're okay with a more cognitive approach to the faith, a more intellectual approach to ministry. If we've read through the Bible in 90 days, we we feel really good, but emotion, I'm not really sure that's something I'm comfortable with. Get this this morning, ministry minus emotion misses the mark. Ministry minus emotion misses the mark. Lesson number one, Jesus was never afraid to invest emotionally in ministry. Lesson number two is that Jesus, in our text, Luke chapter 7, is especially moved during his journey through Nain despite the seemingly insignificant situation and context. Jesus is on a journey with his disciples. Nain is only mentioned in the Gospels right here in Luke chapter 7. In fact, we really don't know much about Nain other than it was a pretty insignificant place. And my guess is that the only reason the disciples were journeying through Nain is because they were headed from point A to point B and Nain happened to be in the middle. And so more than likely, knowing the model of Jesus, he knew where he was going. He knew what he was going to do. He had a game plan, maybe mapped out for that day or for that week or for that month. And Nain was just a spot on the journey. But in this insignificant situation and an insignificant context, death was very common in the first century world. People didn't live to be 80 or 90 or 100. We have someone in our church that turned 100 years old this month, Bob Walsh, first service guy. It's awesome. That didn't happen in the first century world. And even the death of children, even the death of teenagers, as as hard as that is, it was actually pretty common. And yet it's in this seemingly insignificant situation in very common context. That Jesus is moved to action. If the NIV wanted to translate the the emotion of Jesus literally, here's what it should read like. Jesus was gripped in his gut with compassion for her. Grab your gut for a minute. Grip your gut for just a minute. We don't like to do that, do we? Probably not especially in church. But the literal translation is that Jesus was so moved, he thought he might throw up. He was so moved, he couldn't believe what was unfolding before him. And, and the Greek word is an awesome word, and my family is tired of hearing this word because I've been practicing it all week so I can pronounce it well for you, but it's splanchnizomai. my." It sounds like a condition that you need to go to the doctor for, doesn't it? Splunk nitsomai. Say that with me. Splunk nitsomai. You're not saying it very well. Splunk nitsomai. One more time. Splunk nitsomai. Say it like you're a preacher. Splunk nitsomai. You've just learned a Greek word, a very obscure Greek word. It's only used 12 times in the Gospels, it's only used three times in Luke, but splunk nitsomai is to have compassion down deep from the bowels, the very inner being of your body. You can laugh out loud if you want to. We don't talk about bowels in church very often, but see, in our world today, when we think about being emotional or having compassion, what do we think of? We think of the heart, don't we? We think that that's where it originates from, but the Hebrews thought that it was much deeper than just merely the heart. They thought it was a a little bit south in, in terms of anatomy and from the deepest innermost part of your body have you ever received just awful tragic terrible news and you thought you were going to throw up it, it just it struck you like that and you thought i, I don't know if i'm going to. when my dad passed away i was there in the room and and i i not a queasy person i, I really thought i was going to throw up at that moment and that that's splunk meets my that's emotion that is devastation that is compassion that is i have to do something Splunk my Say that with me one more time. You're going to learn this word. Splunk my One more time. Splunk my Luke uses it three times, once here in Luke chapter 7, but he also uses it in conjunction with two of the most famous of parables. In Luke chapter 10, we see the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan last week, and we talked about how could a Levite and how could a priest possibly just keep on walking even though they saw a fellow countryman one of their own struggling he was hurt he was beat up he was left for dead how could they keep walking and the reason was because they were like Martha they were worried and bothered about so many things they had ministry to do they had places to go they had ministry objectives to accomplish But this word, this splunknitzomai, is used to describe the Samaritan. The Samaritan, even though he was a foreigner, even though he wasn't connected, even though the person laying on the ground, beat up and dying, was really his enemy from a country perspective, from a nationality perspective, he experienced splunknitzomai for him, compassion. And so he stopped. And he helped him. And he took him to an inn. And he bandaged him up. And he said, I'm leaving, but any further expenses that are incurred by his visit, it's on me. A splunk needs some my. I have to act. The second occurrence in, in the third occurrence, excuse me, is in Luke chapter 15, and maybe the most famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm going to assume that almost everybody has heard of the parable of the prodigal son, but the younger son wanted the inheritance. He took it, he went, he squandered it in wild living and women and probably did drugs or whatever the equivalent was during that day, just living like a party animal until it's all gone and he's got nothing less and he finds himself in the pig pen and he says, you know what? The servants at my dad's house have a better life than I do. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say I'm no longer worthy to to be called your son, but can I be a servant? Can I at least have a roof to... Uh, sleep under at night and a a meal to eat every day? Can I be like one of the hired hands? And We had the Beth Moore simulcast here yesterday. It was awesome. Many of you ladies were here. Over a hundred women came out to be encouraged by just this awesome communicator. And Beth Moore was talking about this and she said I want you to imagine what the scene looks like. The son has the speech rehearsed and he's trying to get the words out of his mouth to his father how sorry he is and he can't do it because his father is just hugging on him and kissing him and loving him and saying, bring me the robe, and bring me the ring, and kill the fatted calf, and that is splunknitzomai. When his father saw the son coming, he was just moved beyond words. Splunknitzomai. In Matthew chapter 9, it says that Jesus saw the crowds, and they were harassed, and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, and he was moved by splunknitzomai. And he says the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. It's a rich, rich, rich word. Jesus, even though the context was insignificant, even though the city didn't really matter, he was moved to Mai to make a difference. And that brings us to lesson number three this morning. And it's really kind of where the rubber hits the road. It's where the first century biblical text intersects with 2013. And here it is. We can and we should respond like Jesus when we encounter modern day widows at Nain. See, if you consider what this widow had for the rest of her life in front of her, Maybe we better understand where Splunk meets mic comes from. See, in the first century world, if you were a widow, y- you really had a rough life. And really, your only saving grace was if you had a lot of children, and those children could work, and they could make money, because you probably couldn't. And our text tells us that this widow did have one son, but now he's dead. And so there weren't social service agencies. There weren't a lot of hope. She didn't have other family. And she was looking at a life of despair. And my guess is when Jesus saw it, he just knew it instantly. Have you ever looked at someone and just seen the despair in their eyes? Just their, their whole countenance, just cried out, I'm in help. I, I need help. I'm in trouble. Help me. And Luke chapter 7 is awesome because Jesus is Jesus. And he did a miracle and he raised the son from the dead. And i don't expect any of us to leave here today and to go find a dead body and try to raise it again that's not what i'm talking about but understand that being moved emotionally in itself is really no big deal i I cry a lot I, i watched the movie a league of their own about the women's baseball league, my wife will tell you, I, I cry all the time at the end of that movie. I'm not talking one little tear kind of creeping down the, the, the crack right here. I'm talking about big tears. When the sisters hug and they reconcile, man, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm crying. I cry a lot. I'm moved a lot. I was moved by that video that we saw today. But for so many of us, we're moved, and then we just move on. We're moved, And then we've got something to do. i got to get to school. i got to get to work. I I need to go do this. I need to go do that. And the emotion that we feel just kind of lingers. It doesn't go anywhere. And so being moved emotionally is really no big deal. But here is what is a big deal when we respond and when we make it a goal to impact the lives of others. Did Jesus do a miracle? Absolutely, yes. But greater than a miracle, he met a woman's need who was facing despair for literally the rest of her life. And I make the case for you this morning, I've seen it play out, everybody listen up right now, the power of just one passionate person makes an enormous difference. I guarantee you, This project that we are working with didn't start because there was a big corporate gathering of uppity-ups and they said, let's try to do something. I promise you, this was the dream or the vision of one or two or three people, probably one person. How many of you wear Toms? Anybody wear Toms? That's a vision of one person. Now, it's enormous today. It's changing the world today. It takes one passionate person. One person that experiences splunknitzomai and says, maybe I can make a difference. Maybe I can do something. And so my question for you this morning is this. How can I have splunknitzomai, a, a my heart for people in ministry in 2013? How do I pull that off? Because the temptation is just to leave, to walk through those doors and say, man, it's kind of cool. I I learned a new Greek word and the preacher didn't wear shoes during the sermon and just go watch football and just say, well, that's no big deal. How do I put it into action? What can I do? I got two challenges for you as we close this morning. First, open the eyes of your heart. For some of you today, this is so outside your comfort zone. This is so outside where you're at in your life. What you need to really do is just start watching for hurting people. Open the eyes of your heart. I promise you, our community, Clinton, our county, DeWitt County, some of you are from outside of DeWitt County, it is chalked full of hurting, desperate people living their lives in despair. And I'm not just talking financially. There are hurting people all around us, and a whole bunch of them don't know Jesus. A whole bunch of them don't have a church like this to support them and to encourage them. So open the eyes of your heart. But secondly, take your splunk my, take your emotion, and turn it into positive, difference-making action. I love Barbo Donahue. I love the story of Barbo O'Donohue, and I talk about her a lot. She's one of the mission partners that we have. Uh, she runs the COPE ministry and mission in Africa. And my favorite part of her story is she was just like most of you. She had a job. She, I think, was an insurance agent or worked in an insurance office. And Paul Boatman said, hey, why don't you go to Africa with me? And, man, Splunk Nitsomai took over. And today she's a missionary Making a difference in Africa. Maybe there's a Barbo Donahue here. Maybe there's someone that says God could be calling me to step outside my comfort zone and to make a difference. Well, that's radical. Come to church and be challenged to quit your job and go to Africa. So let me bring it down closer to your level. This week, one of the members of our church, who I will embarrass right now by the name of Melinda Heinlein, sent me a a message and said, I've got an idea. What do you think? She said, I really like this shoe thing. I really like this idea, and I want to teach my son, and I want couples that that we're friends with and that we know to teach their children the difference that we can make. What do you think about organizing a a group outing? I said, I absolutely love it, and we've got some video that we're going to show right now. That's awesome, isn't it? That is awesome. And here's what's really cool about that, is that those children are the future leaders of not just First Christian Church of Clinton, but of Christ's kingdom. And at an early age, learning that, what a difference one pair of shoes can make. Um, I I love when people take that splunk Nitsomai and they put it in action and so my bottom line for you this morning as we conclude is this when you see people that are hurting they're devastated by the cruel reality of life like jesus tell them not to cry tell them not to weep but don't stop there involve invest and you will impact their life for jesus christ let's pray god thank you for today and thank you for the hope that we have because of your son, Jesus Christ, and the difference that he makes in our lives. And Father, it is, uh, it is really what life is all about, living for Jesus. And so as we move toward our time of invitation, help us to be people that look for opportunities to, to help hurting people, to be a blessing to those that are greatly in need of it in your name. We love you so much. Thank you for the hope we have in your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. It is invitation time as it is every Sunday here at First Christian Church. And if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, like we say every Sunday here, today is the day. And if you're not a public invitation kind of guy, I'd love to have the opportunity to visit with you about what it means to give your life to Jesus to say, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're in need of prayer this morning, I invite you to go to the back. Adam Brucker's in the back. He'd love to pray with you. I'm up front. I'd love to pray with you as we stand together and the worship team leads us and Samuel leads us in our song of commitment.
2: This song is uh, probably going to be new for a lot of you. But it talks about just giving our lives uh, everything to God. And the reality is that Maybe some of us, we've felt compassion. we felt that a spong needs to my just um, deep down, but we just never have acted on it. And we don't know how. And the thing is, like, if we haven't given our, our lives fully to Christ, you know, that's not going to happen. So uh, we're going to sing this together. It says, My whole life is yours. I give it all, surrendered to your name. And forever I will pray. Have your way. Cause my whole life is yours, I give it all, surrender to your name, and forever I will pray, have your way. Life, I lay it down at the cross, where I am found. All I have, I give to You, O oh God. Take my hands, take my hands, and make them clean you my heart in purity that I may walk in all you have for me. Oh, 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 oh and here I stand, arms open wide.
3: Oh, 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 oh,
2: Yours, as you are mine. Take my moments and take my moments in my days. Let each breath that I take be ever only for You, oh God. Sing this out. Oh, 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 oh. here I stand, arms open wide. Oh. oh, oh. You are mine Sing that again Oh Here I stand Arms open
3: Oh.
0: seated amen great song great song in uh, romans chapter 6 we see these encouraging words from the apostle paul let me read them for you he says what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means we are those who have died to sin how can we live in it any longer For don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. Mark Kaufman will now baptize his daughter Maya in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Amen. Hey, this week, a decision...